Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. And we've had no more snack incidents. That's great. Uh, he is downgraded from the full Z bar to a Sesame Street uh, granola bar, which I think is easier to identify. He could have a career. You know those commercials, those Jimmy John's commercials where the guy uh, lets the air out of all the tires? Oh, yeah. yeah, he could do that. I mean, he, you know, if he's going to start stealing food early, that's a good way to go. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. Do we have an update on Bootsy well, it's completing his first week of school? Great first week of school, of course, after having mom needing to wake him up every day of kindergarten. We get to the holiday weekend, 7 a.m., ready to rock. Oh, he want, <laughs> wanted to go to school uh, But going back to uh, Jimmy John's, it's interesting you bring it up. Before his injury, his fall, which has now sidelined him from P.E. and recess, where he just needs to sit with one of his teachers, uh, incredibly fast, according to one of his classmates, playing tag out on the blacktop. So he's, he's athletic? Uh, well, considering that he has... Uh, self-reported his injuries and refuses to go back on the field, that's yet to be determined. Yeah. <laughs> now, that's the history in the family yep. of, of refusing to go on the field. Uh, it is one of my great <laughs> memories of playing Stoddard soccer as a kid. Yeah, you just... Made it to one game, and then we drove to the second, didn't even go up the field. Well, you didn't... This you, was right off Mass Ave, Little Flowers, I think. You didn't want to play. Nope. And, you've, and you actually turned to me and said, I've never been prouder of you. Yeah, because <laughs> soccer is junk as far as I'm concerned. That's just me. That's just me. I'm not a soccer guy, but others are. I received this in the mail the other day from Tyler and Page. The wedding of Tyler and Page on October 7th, 2022 in Mandeville, Louisiana. It says, please RSVP. You know, and it gives me a code. It says the reception, join us for a night of dinner, dancing, and drinks at Maison Lafitte, 402 Lafitte Street. Um, wedding day notes, please be sure to arrive to the church prior to 515. And it's Mr. and Mrs. William Rayleigh request the honor of your presence at the nuptial mass, uniting their daughter Paige Elizabeth, lovely name, and Tyler Thomas Murphy, the son of Mr. and Mrs. Daniel Murphy, half past five o'clock in the evening at Mary, Queen of Peace Catholic Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. I'm going to assume that Mandeville, Louisiana is somewhere near New Orleans because of the spelling of Lafitte and, and all of that stuff. The thing I wanted to bring out, it's very nice of, of them to invite me, Tyler and Paige, I assume at least one of them listens. At the bottom of one of the cards here, you know what their website is? You, can't, you couldn't, obviously, because you don't know who they are. TylerLovesPage.com. Isn't that nice? I wonder how long he's been sitting on that domain name. Isn't that sweet? <laughs> TylerLovesPage.com. So we wish them, we wish them all the best. Uh, what can I talk about today? The Nats are suddenly a great team. They're a playoff team. They're the worst Good team in the history of baseball. They continue to win, and they beat good teams. You'll remember, I think they beat the Dodgers two out of three. Yep. Okay? They beat the Mets two out of three. Right? Or was yeah. it two out of four? Uh, I think that was a three-game uh, series. Yeah, it was three. Right. Okay. And they just beat the Cardinals yesterday. These are playoff First teams. Cardinals. Every single team is a playoff team. Um, Corbin had a great game against Max Scherzer. Annabelle Sanchez pitched well yesterday. Joey Manessis still hitting right around 340. Lane Thomas now cannot, you can't get him out. You can't get him out. They are suddenly a good, and they're, they're not good. Of course they're not good, but they're suddenly getting results. Can we explain this? In Davey, we trust. 
Do you, is that the only explanation? Uh, I think it's probably two things. It's going younger probably is leading to this resurgence of energy, but really they shipped have, out Mikel Franco, didn't they? You have to circle Manessis and just say there's something about that. It's like a it's like a mini baby shark end of the summer. That's how I feel. That's how I feel. It's a baby shark situation, duh, because he's he's played a month, month and a quarter, whatever it is. Can't get him out. He's in the middle of the lineup. He plays well in the field. Oh, they're, they're, they're not good. They're a terrible team. No, but you go back to what Barry was writing about, you know, in the middle of July when we were, when we were considering the all Soto. the possibilities with Soto. And this right. is exactly what you're looking for as you get to the end of the season. Then you think, how can you carry some of these conversations through spring training? If you get six bodies back for Juan Soto, if two of them become everyday good players, that's really all you can ask for. As far as I'm concerned. Well, well, that's the direct, you know, haul from that. But then you have to start considering what are you going to get with the money that you did not spend that's right. on that one player. That's so, right. it, you know, it amplifies. Right. No, you're right about that. But it reminds me of you get rid of Scherzer and Turner. And you go, boy, that's terrible. And it is. It's terrible. There is no revisionism that can make that anything other than terrible. It is franchise killing in the moment. You get back Josiah Gray, who's okay. He's a 500 pitcher with a 4.5 ERA at the moment. But you get back Cabert Ruiz, who throws people out at first and seems to be learning how to be a major league hitter. And you say to yourself, that's my catcher for 10 years, right? Yeah. He's and, a 10-year catcher. And you think about the importance of having a, uh, you know, a, the shakeup in your pitching order and how you might have the experience of that catcher as you try and coach up some of these guys like Gray and then who's going to come thereafter. But you look at uh, the Scherzer and the Turner one, and the Turner one just hurts in a different way because you look at Scherzer's age. You look at when he pitched against the Nats this weekend and had to come out, and you still don't know what that's going to look like for the playoffs because that's all that matters. Five runs, with this Mets five deal. innings, one earned, pitched very well, gave up one in the first. And it's just how natural Turner, who doesn't seem no, to even want to be on the West Coast, fits into that Dodgers lineup. He's a terrific player. The other thing was last night and over the weekend, I watched a lot of tennis. I know Nigel watched a lot of tennis because he's at the tennis the Tiafo win. Here's what happened. We'll talk. Wilbon will be on next. We'll talk to Wilbon. But here's what happened in the long holiday weekend. The two greatest players who are active at the moment, because Djokovic is not, Nadal and Serena Williams were beaten. Serena Williams was taken out by somebody who is 46th in the world. And she was taken out. And, you know, at the end of it, it's another celebration of Serena. But we're not going to see her again. It's over. It's over for Serena Williams. She's a, one of the greatest players of all time. Do I think she's the greatest? No, I don't. I think Martina Navratilova is the greatest. But if you tell me Serena Williams is the I'm not. I'm not vehemently arguing with you. Because in alphabetical order, Everett, Groff, um, King, Navratilova, Williams. You can throw a blanket on all of them. They're all the greatest players. It's okay. Nadal, is he the greatest player ever? Not for me. Rod Laver will always be the greatest player for me. Federer will probably be better than Nadal for me. But, you know, I'm not going to argue this. He's the number one player in the world this year. I don't care that he's seated second. He won the Australian Open when Djokovic was deported. He won the French Open and went through Djokovic. He got to the semifinals of Wimbledon and had to say, I'm done, because he had torn every muscle in his abdomen. And he came to the U.S. Open relatively healthy. And in the fourth round, Francis Tiafo from College Park, Maryland, took him out. And took him out 
yeah. was more aggressive, hit the ball harder, won the crowd. He won the crowd by the end of the second set. He was even with Nadal in terms of the crowd, and he started out way behind, like, you know, people playing Serena. And by the fourth set, by the third set, actually, the crowd was his. And virtually every big point he won. I mean, he played great. Is this, and I think this is the larger question here, and I'll ask it, I'll ask Nigel, because he gets paid to know this stuff. <laughs> is it, this is no question the greatest win of his life. Is it going to be the greatest win of his life? Down the road. Is he going to be John Wall, the master of game six? And then when he gets to game seven, gets no points at all, none, zero in the fourth quarter. Do you know what I mean, Nigel? Is, yeah, this is no, a signature win, but is it it for him? Or does he have the potential to be a champion? I, I, th I certainly think he does have the potential. I mean, he's always been a really talented player. Um, and But now he's... He's got Wayne Ferrara as a coach who apparently has really gotten to focus. That was a problem with earlier. Have a great set and then get blown out for the other sets or have a great match and then have a letdown for the next one. Um, and he really seems like a different player this year. And, and certainly the shots he was making yesterday, I mean, you just couldn't believe it. I mean, it was just every time he needed something big, he was so much better than Nadal. And Nadal was, he was. was, was good, but, you know, Tiafoe was, was better. better. And he, he, he said the day before... He said, I'm not going to let Nadal dictate this match. I'm yes. going to bring it to him. He was yes. confident. Yeah, when they brought up his record against Nadal, he goes, it's been a, it's been a few years since, and I, this is my best year at tennis so far. Yeah, yeah. You know, so. and he's had, I mean, I think he took Federer to five sets in the U.S. Open a few years back. So he's had these moments, and he's one of those players on, on tour. That if you talk to people, they're like, we're just waiting for him to really come into his own. He's got this amazing ability. And he really so then does. he's considered so, better than Taylor Fritz, who's ranked higher? I think, I think he's in the same group. I don't okay. think anyone says he's better or, uh, than the other. I think Fritz certainly has had a terrific year, even though he went out in the first round. First this, round. Yeah, and it was just terrible. So, um, so yeah, but I, I think, I mean, without sort of getting caught up in the moment, you know, and saying, oh, what I just saw is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Um, I do think that he's got a very bright future, and he's still very young. I'm not sure if he's like 24. 24. So uh, he was I, great I, talking with McEnroe and Everett last night. I love that yeah. his first thing after the match was just so great that one of my favorite basketball players, Bradley Beal's here. Bradley Beal. He had Bradley yeah. Beal in the box. Bradley and Beal. Bradley Beal. See, that's what I worry about. Bradley Beal, content to be a good player on a bad team. Yeah, yeah it seems. It seems though, as you zoom out, this is just a. This is the reality of what's happening when you have the big three who are beginning to retreat. You know, some they can't c come into the tournament themselves, and some just tennis is wide open, men's and women's. And then you also wide see about open. the stats of where you see um, you know American men actually going through and how. Deep this is the first the American man to the quarters in a bunch of years. Am I right on that? Uh, I just to the to quarters. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's been some time. Yeah, it's been like uh, since I know two thousand five. I just, I just I want to circle back on, on just Serena for one second. I understand the tributes to Serena. I'm okay with all the tributes to Serena. But don't make the other woman sit out there through them. Don't introduce the other woman first. Like, you know, she's going to an execution. And she has to sit there through 15 <laughs> minutes of praising of Serena. Let her wait. In the, don't you think? I don't, Let her she, wait so in the back. She ended up uh, speaking great on court. They brought her back the next night, and she was even um, you know, more considered with her words. And I think in that moment, she was probably a fan herself, no matter what that win meant for her. You have to be a fan of Serena Williams if you're a woman tennis player. She's yeah. been so I, great. 
have to. I think she said when she won, you know, how did you do it? She's like, well, I, I don't know. I thought I was going to lose the match. You know, it's Serena. So, yeah, yeah. She, was, she was terrific. That's Tamjanovic. Yes, she then I went on. She won her next match. Yeah, yeah, she so did. So she was yeah, not the king of game six. That's what. That's all I'm saying for Tiafo. Don't yeah. be the king of game six, right? I will say, I will say. You can I'm lose in the semis, but win yeah. one more, get there. And if I had to put, you know, in this sort of, as Michael just talked about, with the big three sort of, you know, getting on, you know. Getting in, on, in, they're 80. <laughs> getting on. <laughs> right. There is, there's a group of younger players um, one of them played last night. He was in the match that ended at 223, and that's Carlos Alcaraz. Yeah, he's and great. Spanish he, kid. He could win the tournament. I think people think, actually, it's either between him and Kyrgios. I think people are arguing is who's going to win this. And he could be the number one player in the world. Kyrgios is a psychotic. He's yeah, a psychotic. But, he's but on the court, but then you hear him after he plays, he sounds so kind. I understand. He, and he says yeah. he's matured. And you say, really? Because I just watched <laughs> he you. He rifles a ball back. <laughs> I just watched you. You're a psychotic. <laughs> Yeah. So he just but, turns on a back And the end. people that buy that and buy into that and write about that, you go, what, do you believe your eyes? <laughs> we'll talk to Wilbon. Wilbon feels the same way I do. So we'll take a break. And Wilbon will be with us when we return? Yes. From, our, okay. from Arizona, I believe. Yes. From Arizona. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This comes to us from John, I'm sorry, from Jim Lipson, who writes, Greeting, gents. I'm thrilled to introduce you to my incredibly talented friends, Matt and Rebecca Rowland, who make up the progressive newgrass, bluegrass group, Rizo, R-I-S-O. The husband and wife duo was formerly one half of the bluegrass band, Run Boy Run, a group that so impressed Garrison Keillor that when he had them on his Prairie Home Companion show when it visited Arizona, he brought them back two weeks later when the show returned to its home in Minnesota. This first song is called Always Running. Again, the band is Riso, or Riso, I'm not sure, R-I-S-O. And Always Running plays in Michael Wilbon from Arizona. What's up in Arizona? How's the weather in Arizona turning into September? Do you have monsoons? No, no, no. That was, that was, that was done. It was a big monsoon month. That was August. Um, and we're just turning in. And it's, it's exactly what it is prescribed to be. Uh, we are back, so you you turn out of the, you know, the humid days for here, um, with enormous rainstorms and like we talked about that one uh, recently, you and I yeah. did. Yeah. You get out of that, and so these are the last hot days. So up where I live is going to be six or seven degrees cooler than Scottsdale, but it's going to be hundred hundred plus, hundred three, hundred two, hundred four, somewhere in there, and uh, and then, but as soon as I leave. The weather breaks every every year breaks around now, and so next week is the great week where it goes down to for ninety two with four percent humidity and it's just it'll be just be beautiful. That's beautiful now. Right. And I played golf yesterday uh, with the fabulous Good. Tanya Tare and Robbie Petty. It was one hundred and four, hundred five. We I didn't play. We hit you know I hit balls. I'm trying to get myself back. So down at, at Paradise Valley, my God, uh, one of the great clubs and golf courses. 
in America, and, uh, and it, you know, it, it, it's hot as hell. But, again, I played, and I wasn't miserable. And, Tony, when the sun goes down, it, it, when it gets past five, it's like, okay, I'm sitting, we, I'm sitting outside having dinner today. And people say, wait a minute, it's 90-90, so it's beautiful. And yeah. I've done that every day here, every day. Because you can do that in late August and early September, and it'll be great next week, but too late for me. So I started out the show, I talked about the tennis, what we saw over the long holiday yeah. weekend. Serena is out, and she's done. Nadal is out, and he got beat. Medvedev is out, and he got beat. What, what are your impressions about what you saw over the weekend? Because I'm sure you watched it, too. Tony, I, you know, I've been saying to you all summer uh, and spring that there were two things that were apparent, very, very apparent to me, and that is, one, that tennis, I'm sorry, that golf, that golf has all these great young players, like just a ton. Yep. And now, you know, it's interesting because, of course, a second tour is having to, you know, share them. Uh, and, ten and, and, and tennis is, is the same way. But the, the, the icon, it's time to go. I mean, yes. you know, it's, not like, it's not like there's some breaking news that Federer and Serena and maybe extending. Maybe to Nadal. I think Nadal's got another gasp or two left. But it's time. Those guys, are, they, they're old. They have wear and tear on them. It's time to go now. And, yeah, I've been watching all of this. And so Coco Goff. And, and the thing about women's tennis is it's always just incredible attrition because you just don't know. You just, you, even the greatest of all, you know, the greatest players, they, you know, the Tracy Austins, the people come and they're great for two or three years, the Osaka, and then they're, they're gone. This is Ash Party. She quit. Ash Party. That's she right. simply quit. The Belgians. They yeah. were still great challenging Serena. Yes. And they all become best friends, and the Belgians disappear at about 28. And so this is the nature of tennis. And so the federal Joker, Djokovic, Nadal thing, that, that's, you know, that is, it really helps define. The, the the modern era of that sport, but I was watching, you know, watching Tiafo yesterday, and just you know, I was you know, I've known of Tiafo Ray Ray Benton, my dear friend Ray Benton, has been involved with the development at the University of Maryland and the facility that 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 is out there that's phenomenal. I've gone out there several times, and I, you know, we've known about Tiafo since he was I don't know. 16? 15, 16, yeah, yeah. I would say. Was yeah. he 24 now? He's 24. 24. 24. I mean, so I've been following Tiafo and rooting for him since he was in Madam. I met him when he was 15. See, I was, he, for me, remember that soccer player, Freddie Adu, who yeah. signed a contract when he was 13 and then never became anything. Right. Never became. So Tiafo getting to be 24, I thought, okay, well, he's a good player, but he's never going to be, be much. Like, Jack Sock and all these other Americans. Who right. Don't. So then he beats, and there is no other way to he describe what he happened. Beat him. He, he beat, beat Rafael Nadal. Yeah, man. You could yeah. watch this happen. Yeah. He was quicker. He was. He hit it harder. He beat Rafael Nadal. Now, what I ask, and I'll ask you, you don't want to be John Wall, the king of Game Six. You gotta win the next. You don't have to win the tournament, but you, to me, you gotta get to the semis He's on this one. Rounds. I understand. So uh, he's not going to be favored, and he's not by seeding, which is everything in tennis. He's not supposed to win these matches. I'm talking about the whole thing. Right. He's not supposed to win either of the next two. But when people burst out, they do win. John McEnroe got to the semis. He was 18 yeah, years old. Yeah, but John McEnroe was. 
Not his John McEnroe. You know, he's not going to pay Tiafo to John McEnroe. Right. And John McEnroe, that arrival was at 18. That's right. That's right. And John McEnroe, even though he only won seven, he, you know, John McEnroe, to me, if, you start, if you're arguing talent, you yeah. know, McEnroe is still up there, up there with all the, with any of the talents. I've watched more tennis this U.S. Open than I have any time in the last 10 years. Me too. Uh, have watched Me too. it, have loved it, loved it. And I'm watching everything. I, I'm watching, as you know, you and I talked about this. I was uh, watching, uh, of course, for me, you know, and it's a big game tonight in, 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 in uh, Connecticut. I'm watching the WNBA and particularly Chicago for me, the defending champs. There was a lot of stuff on. I watched a lot of college football. Um, none of it jumped out as much as people who hype it wanted to want to say it has, but it's fine. I'm glad it's, be, I'm glad it's back. Uh, I watched last night, too, uh, and that wasn't much of a game. And no. Again, t- tonight, no. front and center for me, the big TV, I will go in my office here in, in Scottsdale and turn three TVs on. The big one will have on the WNBA games back-to-back. So let me just get back to the tennis for a second. Because Kyrgios, in the, in the way that yeah. Tiafo beat Nadal, Kyrgios beat Medvedev. He oh, yeah. beat him. Oh, yeah. He hit it harder. He hit yeah. it in better spots. Well, he had beaten him already this summer, too, though. He had beaten him yeah. already. He's a crazy psychotic. Yeah. Yeah. What do you do with him? What do you do? You watch him. I don't. I don't manage him. Right. I, don't, I don't have to. I don't have to account for him. I right. watch him. He right. must see. Yes, he is. He's like you know. Yes, he's, he is. You know, he's, he's like, Screaming, yelling. Yes, yes, he is. He's a massively talented dude. You realize he's like six four and a half. No, I didn't know he was that big. Oh yeah, he's six feet. He's, he's huge. And he's you know. I mean, he's not. You know. He's not a kid. He's like almost no. thirty, right? He's well, wasted. I mean, he's, things were like twenty six, twenty seven. Well, he's wasted a lot of time. Yeah, yes, yes, he's, he's, yes, he's going to throw rackets, he's going to curse chair umpires, and then it seems like at the end of these matches that I, I saw him play Federer somewhere once, and it seems like at the end of these matches, and you, I'm thinking to myself, these other people must hate him, and no, they embrace, they chat, you know, he and, he and Medvedev, Medvedev like hugged him with both arms and talked in his ear for a bit, and Kyrgios was very, you know, he shared it. It's, 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 look, look, the problem with tennis has been that since the great characters of the 80s, you had great tennis, but you haven't had these morality plays. When you had McEnroe and, and Borg and Gerolitis and, and Connors, the personalities drove tennis up, up the ladder on sports in the world, across the world. And so now most of those personalities, so you had them in, in boxing and tennis, and you had them, God knows you had them in golf. Now, Tony, they're, they're really concentrated in worldwide basketball and worldwide soccer. That's where the great personalities are. And, and if, t- if tennis can have them, maybe tennis will get back on their radar. Boxing seems unable to produce any of that anymore. But man, tennis has got them on both sides. They do. And it's, no, they it's do. Just it's, I've I've loved this. You know, first what is it now? Eight days of the U.S. Open. It's been really good. It's been really good. Let me get. You mentioned college football. The two things I wanted to get to. One is that I don't think 
anyone is upset that Brian Kelly lost at LSU. I don't think Brian Kelly is liked. Am I wrong on this? No, he could be villainous, too. He's kind of a villainous dude. That's what I think. Yeah. I mean, he just yeah. he walked I mean, he, out on he, Notre Dame to win a national was, championship. I, you know, I don't care if he walked out on Notre Dame. I, I don't give a damn about I that. do. I care. He left Notre Dame, so what? Notre Dame kicks people out and cuts people, and yeah, come yep, on. They do. I, the hell with them. Um, and so I, I don't root for Brian Kelly, but... I want to see him on the stage. You know, I mean, I want to see him on the stage. And that game, that was compelling. That yeah. ending was the second best ending in sports I saw all weekend. And so that oh, was... Well, the best was, ending in sports was, and I, I shouldn't say this, and Wilbon shamed me into this. The best ending in sports was the WNBA game with Seattle and Las Vegas. Yes, sir. That was an unbelievable... <laughs> Sue Bird hits yeah. a shot. From the deep left corner, a three-point shot that puts her team up by two. There's .02 left on the clock. It's physically impossible for Las Vegas back, to tie the game. Point. And what they do. They, they tie yeah. the game. The overtime, no, I didn't, was, care, about. Was, didn't care about. The Superbird shot, that's like Jordan hitting a shot, and then somebody else coming back and that stopping just, him. Yes, yeah, so much. never happened. Never happened. And I really, and Superbird hits that shot at 41 years old, I'm screaming at my house. No, I, I, I was going nuts I watched watching it. that game. And it was three shots in the last three seconds all made. I watched it. Last seven seconds. And God so, help yeah, me, I watched it. Was, it. Uh, you know, it's been the big stars in that sport. The big stars, the Hall of Famers in that sport have gone dagger, 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 dagger every night. Yeah. And, you know, so it's like if you want big stars to produce this, I, I told you, for me... Candace Parker did like she's missed a shot throughout the, the, the playoffs. He had a sort of bad shooting night the other night, but until then. But, yeah, it's the Super I was glad you were watching that because that I was, the, again, big star. Sue Bird is one of the ten biggest stars in NBA and WNBA history. Oh, sure. And she's out there hitting shots at 40-plus years old. She's 41. I get yeah. you out of here on this. The college football playoff went from 4 to 12. From yeah. 4 to 12, not 4 to 8. Yeah. 4 to 12. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I like it. That's I don't me. need it. I've, I've, you know, I've said this from. Look, I was one of the people out there yelling for a playoff thirty-five years ago when nobody wanted it. It's going to ruin the fabric of college football. And all these clowns, all these mo- all these morons and idiots <laughs> yelling about how it's going to ruin college football. It made college football even more irresistible. And so I don't need twelve. I don't need it to where they're going to play four playoff games. I don't need that. And, and and there is the regular season. It only it doesn't matter because you have to qualify. Um, I, I'm not ready for that, and I knew it was coming because again, I've been involved in you know my own schools, and of course, the big, when, you, when you're involved with the Big Ten schools, navigation and negotiation of this, then it, it's real. It's the whole it's the whole thing. As we try to now poach two more schools to come to the Big Ten to get it to 18, I guess ultimately get to 20, maybe even by next week. Um, so that, that, you've got that expansion and the SEC or whatever they're going to do next. And now you've got the playoff. 12 is too many. Don't need it. I don't. Like, will I watch it? Of course I'll watch it. I don't need it. I don't like it. And I think that it's going to – I think I, I worry that college football – which I have followed as closely as anything my entire life. I, I, I think college football could go the way of boxing. That you're so 
still going to always have huge events, but it's just going to be all the same. It went from Ali to somebody to three people sharing it, the WBA and the, and the WBC and the IBF, and you had all these things. You had all these champions who were self-declared, and then all of a sudden, boxing was like, what are you talking about? And I think football without proper leadership, they need a commissioner. I, I want my own president who is, is, Tony, you know, we talk about Morty Shapiro because, you know, he's my president in Northwestern right. the last 14 years. He's out. He's going out. Next week's his last week. Duke Northwestern game is his last week. But Morty Shapiro has been, other than Kevin Warren, the commissioner, he's been the most essential person to getting the Big Ten in the position it's in. Morty Shapiro, like a politician, he knows how to navigate that, but he's also an academician. He should be the commissioner. He is the one who got that unanimous vote last week, him. All right? And everybody in that conference understands that. But he's outgoing as president. It's like, so what? He doesn't need to be president of a university to be the commissioner. No. And it should come from the Big Ten. We're leading the way. And he's leading the way. So install him. Because I fear that college football is going to get so big. And so it's two conferences. What about the things that made it popular? What about the tribalism? How can you have it? There's no California. I mean, there is. Tony, Cal and Stanford are very likely to come follow UCLA and USC. What does that do? How do those people feel? I'm watching Oregon State the other night, the place where that stuff matters. What, how is it going to matter to them in quite the same way out there? It isn't. And you just get so big. And by the way, I'm not saying I'm not excited about it. I'm not saying, oh, Kevin's crazy to do this. No, 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 no. This is the way to go. It's brilliant. But boxing was brilliant, too. Where's that now? How's that, boys and girls? How's that for anybody under 50? The thing that used to produce the most famous athlete on the planet for 100 years. From John L. Sullivan through Mike Tyson, it's gone. So I have my fears about college football getting too big and not being able to sustain the excitement. And maybe that's stupid. Maybe somebody will tell me you're crazy. It can't happen. I'm sure Paul Feinbaum would. I won't tell you crazy. Guys who are you know vested in college football. No, I'll tell you. I won't tell you you're crazy at all. I won't. I won't. So I'm. I'm. But I'm excited about this week. I'm going to go and watch. Tony, the schools that are really hurting, the ACC schools, the penalties for leaving, if you're Clemson and Florida State, which is why they haven't already gone to the SEC. And, you know, Duke and North Carolina, they want to come to the Big Ten, but they can't get out of their deals. So I, I, sort of, I shouldn't take any joy in that, but I sort of do. Um, but these rivalries, where are they going to be? What are they? You know, when I'm going to a college football game Saturday, I'm going to go sit in my... Seats in Chicago, Evanston, Illinois, watch Northwestern, Duke, and hopefully avenge a loss to them last light year like we did to Nebraska a week ago. All right. Enjoy yourself. I understand what you're saying. I, don't, I didn't go to a school with football, but I, will, I say this all the time. If you are Maryland, if you ask anybody who graduated Maryland in the last 30 years, what do you want to see? They don't even say football. They say Maryland Duke, and they, and they don't they, have it. They don't have it. They don't have it. So when you break, Tony, you don't have and it. Even though you didn't grow up with football, I 
know how much you love college love football college in the last football. 20 years, particularly. Love it. Love it. And, and Tone, well, that's what I'm saying. I, I agree. So, so, could... so if you take all of that away from the whole country, then, you know, then what do you have? Then, then what, what are people going to rally around? What are they going to be fanatics about? And tribalism is the most important thing in college football to me. And it just is. I, but, I, you know, I grew up in the shadow, literally the shadow of Notre Dame. And I hate Notre Dame. I mean, you know, in, in that wrestling, pro wrestling sort of way, I pay attention to Notre Dame as much as I've paid attention to anything in my life because they're close and they're huge and they're the greatest college football institution ever. You know, arguably, you, I know you and I believe that. Um, what what happens when you take away all the tribalism and you just have, like, two big conferences? <laughs> what, am I to watch? what am I supposed to get excited about in a, big mar- in a fairly big market? A glamorous, rich place like Seattle. If, if, if Cal and Stanford go to the Big Ten, or, and, and then maybe even Oregon, right, and, so, and, and, you know, and Notre Dame. Let's say that, that, let's say that finishes us off, those four schools. What's the UW? What's the University of Washington? I don't know what they have. And their people. What do they have? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I agree. I don't know. All you right, know? I'll talk to you later. I don't. Michael Wilbon, boys and girls. We will come back with Pat Forty. We will talk about the same thing. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. This once again is the group RISO, R-I-S-O, Arizona group, Tucson, Arizona group, I believe. This song is called In the Maze. It's an instrumental. It was recorded, according to Jim Lipson, by P.D. Ronstad. Yes, that Ronstad family and brother to Michael J. Ronstad, who was featured on tunes that we played here by the amazing Jessica Gray back in April. Connective tissue on display. Michael, if people like Rizo want to send their original music in, how do they do it? Please send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornizershow.com. I hope in Tucson they're still able to eat dinner outside like Wilbon. Tucson is a vastly different climate than, than um, oh no, no, Flagstaff is the vastly different climate. Flagstaff's up in the mountains and they get snow and stuff like that. Tucson is even hotter, I think, than where Wilbon is in Scottsdale. I think Tucson's even hotter. We'll see. Pat Forty of Sports Illustrated joins us because this is the first really big college football weekend. And of all the stories that are out there, we'll just start with the notion of which is the biggest story. Ohio State being threatened, LSU losing, Georgia crushing Oregon, or Lincoln Riley debuting with 66 points as they kill Rice. Of all those four, what stands out tallest to you, Pat? Well, for entertainment purposes, LSU losing in the way it did, the way that game went down probably stands out. But in terms of like, the most significant thing for that's going to help shape the way this season goes, I think it's, oh my gosh, Georgia's still really good. Yeah, uh, That was just a devastating 
performance that they put on Oregon uh, offensively as good as Georgia's ever looked. And then defensively, yeah, they're still uh, extremely talented, fast, big, mean on that side of the ball. So uh, the defending national champions got a good chance to defend. That surprises you? Not really. I mean, I thought, Uh you know, I thought there were three schools that were ahead of everyone else. I thought it was Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia. So I'm not surprised. But I, I was just, I guess, impressed by how ready they were right away to look really good. You know, I thought that it would take a while for the defense to, to you know, kind of come into its own. And I figured while the offense had a lot of talent that, that they weren't necessarily going to be a nine yards of play, 49-point juggernaut. Um, so I was just impressed with it, that they don't appear to need to, to much time to ramp up to be an extremely good. So you are not of the opinion necessarily, as I am, that the Pac-12 stinks. It just stinks. <laughs> And that they it has stunk for years, and Oregon is 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 a myth. That's my position, not yours. It's not my position. No, uh, I mean they have stunk for for years, but right. I did I watched Oregon go into the horseshoe last year and handle Ohio State. Right. Um, okay. And while this is not the same team, they they boy on paper they were veteran and talented on the offensive line and defensive front seven. You know, I mean there's NFL guys on both sides of that team there uh but boy oh boy were they overwhelmed by georgia so i mean it may be a very bad sign for the pac-12 but i I, i'm not willing to to give up on them completely at this point yet did you overrate ohio state or did you underrate notre dame um probably a little bit of both i guess uh you know I, i i think ohio state is the thing that stood out to me, and they did have an injury to Jackson Smith and Jake, but they're extremely good wide receiver. But but they were just kind of plotting offensively. Right. Uh, you know, they weren't explosive. They didn't have those big dazzling plays that they're capable of. Uh, and then Notre Dame's defense, man, they fought. I mean, that that's a good unit, and they fought very hard. They had a good offensive game plan they didn't turn the ball over they didn't make terrible mistakes they just weren't good enough on that side of the ball but so probably a little bit of both i i will say i was there and like ryan day was tickled afterwards because i think he saw something out of his team that they were they were accused of being soft last year uh they were pushed around badly by michigan they were pushed around by oregon uh and that was not a soft performance they ran the ball when they had to run the ball they got after Notre Dame in the second half and shut them out. So I think he, he at least liked what he saw, and he knows they're going to be better than that going forward. Okay. Let me go back to the former coach at Notre Dame who left Notre Dame and went to LSU for one reason. I, I don't think it's just money. I think he wants to win a national championship, and he doesn't believe he could win a national championship at Notre Dame. But I don't think people like Brian Kelly. I, I don't think they do. I think if you polled the country, a majority of the people who cared about college football would be happy that he lost this first game at LSU. What do you think? My Twitter feed suggests that's correct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, was, it was schadenfreude city out there uh, when LSU lost that game. And I think there were certainly that there's a large number of Notre Dame fans that felt that way, but also fans in general, to your point, is he's... He's not the most likable uh, character in the world. Um, and they looked bad. I mean, Florida State gave them a chance to come back and, and 
miraculously get that game into an overtime. But really, LSU looked really bad. I mean, their offensive line stunk. Their receivers were mediocre at best. Their quarterback was average. Uh, and that's a place, look, we'll say this. They have unrealistic expectations there to be great all the time. But when you're paying a coach unrealistic money, that's yes. what comes with it. You're getting $9.5 a year. You better be good right away. And they weren't. So... Uh, bad start for him. Uh, obviously, that you're not going to you know make a judgment on one game, but it was it was a an inglorious debut, that's for sure. Well, let me go to something I mentioned earlier that not anybody would necessarily mention, and that was the debut of Lincoln Riley at USC, who had brought Caleb Williams with him. They scored. I'm, I'm not making a case for Rice except academically, but they scored 66 points. They scored on every single possession through three quarters. They had three pick sixes. You cannot debut better than Lincoln Riley debuted at USC, right? You can't. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it was spectacular. Uh, he said, look, the offense looked like it was supposed to look. I mean, incredibly explosive, efficient, uh, going up and down the field. And then, yeah, you throw in three defensive scores. The number of defensive touchdowns they had the previous three years combined, one. Then they have three in one game. Yeah. Uh, you know, a couple of those were gift wrap pick sixes. I mean, balls that bounce off receivers' right. hands and you just catch it and run it in. But still, they weren't doing that last year or the year before or the year before that. So uh, that was pretty spectacular. It gets a little more real this week against Stanford, although we're not sure how real because Stanford has been – bad the last couple seasons but uh, you know we'll, we'll find out a little bit more against a team that should at least be able to physically give them a challenge in the trenches so we just had Wilbon on and Wilbon loves college football because of Northwestern which we both understand <laughs> and Wilbon loves the Big Ten and Wilbon says that Cal and Stanford are ready to join the Big Ten and FSU and Clemson are ready to join the SEC and Wilbon worries that there will be some sort of form of super conference that will encompass those two conferences, and that the tribalism, which has supported his word, the tribalism of college football, which has supported it forever and ever and ever, will be gone. He's afraid that college football is going to turn into boxing. Do you have any of those fears? Um, yes. I do. Uh, his fears are, are certainly not without at least serious consideration. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Here's the thing, though, Tony. Something that happened in, in, the, in the complete PR ineptitude of college football on Friday afternoon, heading into Labor Day weekend, heading into the first weekend of the season, oh, they announced they're expanding the playoffs. That's right. That's right. Huge news, potentially very positive news that they just kind of swept out there that really may save conference realignment, may stop it. I think there's a chance. I'm not saying it's going to happen. But if you're the Pac-12 and you're the Big 12 and you're the ACC, wow, they just gave you a ticket to the playoff that you otherwise are going to be scrambling to get, and schools might feel like, hey, we can stay here. We can win our league. We can go 11-1, 12-0 and, and have a chance to at least play for it. Or we can go to this other conference that makes no sense geographically, that is disorienting for our fans, uh, and go six and six. Which do you want to do? I mean, if I'm USC and UCLA, I'm like, oh gosh, can we go back? I'm not saying they would, 
Right. But I think this is a lifeline to those leagues that may stop conference realignment. I'm so glad you said that. The, the news broke, I don't know, about 3 o'clock on Friday, about a, maybe a little bit later, and we had to redo the PTI show, you know, to accommodate it. And my first impression was exactly what you're saying, that this saves the horrible Big 12, the horrible ACC, and the horrible Pac-10. It saves them because it guarantees them one spot in the playoffs and, and makes it so it's not going to be six teams from the Big 10 and six teams from the SEC. Right? That's, that's what it yeah. does. Huge. I, I think it's absolutely huge. And you know, the fact, again, the fact that the Pac-12 and ACC were against this conference expansion last year is so mind-bogglingly stupid. It makes no yes. sense whatsoever. Yes. You were cutting off your own lifeline. Yeah. And now finally they came around like, okay, geez, maybe we better do this. And fortunately, the SEC and Big Ten and everybody else didn't take the deal off the table because there was threats to that effect from Greg Sankey. But they did not, and now I think we're going to have a bigger postseason. We're going to have more inclusive, and we got more leagues, more teams involved, and maybe this does slow the super conference trend. This is what surprised me all along. College football is the second most popular sport in America behind pro football. It, it, there's nothing, there's nothing the NBA or baseball or even college basketball can do to threaten it. There's nothing. It is dominating. And they did not take advantage of the American mindset for a large playoff structure for years and years and years. Even watching March Madness, they didn't do it. Why didn't they do it? <laughs> Stupidity, yeah, short-sightedness, yeah, intransigence, yeah. Uh, you know, narrow-minded greed. Uh, I mean, somehow or another, like really... You know, the old line from The Usual Suspects, the greatest trick the devil ever played is to convince people it didn't exist. Yeah. The bowl structure convinced college football that they needed them. Like, why? No. You know, we well, we have to have the Sun Bowl. We have to have the <laughs> Liberty Bowl. We have no. to have the, the Peach Bowl, don't we? No, no we really don't. We need no. a bigger playoff. I mean, no. it was just astounding that, that for decades, this was just the modus operandi that was accepted. And finally, we've gotten past it. It's so hard to understand that because the basketball, that's what made the basketball. Made it. Yeah. Why wouldn't you yeah. do the same thing over a month? Why wouldn't you do it? Because you like guys wearing plaid jackets from the Beef <laughs> O'Brady Bowl? I don't, I just, you know, it's over for the bowls. Okay, it's, they're anachronistic. It's over. And this is, this is better, right? It's much better. Oh, it's much better. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, Dan Wetzel, my podcast partner, made a, a good point that, that a lot of this goes back to the days where athletic directors were making $125,000, $200,000 a year. And when the Fiesta Bowl says, hey, you and your wife can come down here for a week and have a condo and play golf all you want and everything, that mattered. That was right. actually some nice, right. you know, it was like, oh, well, we got to, the Bulls are taking care of us. We should take care of the Bulls. Well, now athletic directors are making $1.5 million a year. They don't need the kickback for a week. And, you know, they can have their own kickback. So, I just think that the sport, it took a long time, but it's, it's starting to, to wean itself off of this just kind of bold back-scratching that has gone on forever. Couldn't agree more. Thank you, Pat, as always. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure, Tony. Thank you. Pat Forty of Sports Illustrated. We'll take a break. We have email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. 
check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. I love this. Love this. Jeremy Vint. We're all getting wet. was perfect for this morning. Yeah, it rained all night in Washington. Is it supposed to get better today? Clearing out this morning. Okay. Chance of storms this evening. Okay. Not a night to grill. No? (laughs) Okay. Lasagna at our house. Okay. (laughs) I'll wrap up the leftovers for you. Thank you. (laughs) Just like you did with the potato salad, which was so good. Jeremy Vint. Nigel, Michael picked up the bagels today. Nigel, why don't you do the Bethesda bagel ad? You're yes, you got the bagels, bagels, the bagel sandwiches, if I'm not yes. mistaken. Even yes. bigger news, they knew my name today. That's great. <laughs> Bethesda bagels, we love them. You would as well. Uh, just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. That's it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me quote George Harrison. I look at the world and I notice it's turning while my guitar gently weeps. With every mistake, we must surely be learning. Still, my guitar gently weeps. Thanks to our guest today, Michael Wilbon, Pat Forty. Thanks to our sponsor, Electric E-Bike. If you uh, listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey, you have your choice. If you get show through Apple Plot Podcasts, please leave us a review. TK Week 1, it's back to school at Johnny O for Mom, Dad, and the Kids. The uh, Pamlico sweatshirt, crew neck sweatshirt, it's available in great colors. Dress your kid up in Johnny O. Be the envy of everyone in kindergarten. Everyone. From Josh Denzer. First time, long time. 5'11 and a dwindling 173 pounds. The Subway bread issue is due to the amount of sugar present resulting in more of a pastry than a bread. Hence, it can be taxed at a higher rate. Front left, phone, front right, pen, box cutter, AirPods case. Thanks for the nearly 15 years that I've been listening. 5'11. 5'11. From Will Shannon in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, Vivat Regina, I won't insult your liberal arts education with a translation, but I'm in San Diego on business. And rest assured, Sheena Parveen continues to bring sunny weather forecasts to a grateful Southern California citizenry. Oh, how absence makes the heart grow fonder. And he includes a picture of Sheena Parveen. It is not hard to do the weather in San Diego. A heat wave. It's 75 and sunny every day. It's what we call Strasburg weather. Uh, from Don Hammock in Biloxi, uh, Mississippi, when I heard Dr. Hofwaff taking pride in Bootsy being aggressive, 
by taking away the, another kid's snack, I got lost in reverie. I imagine Grandpa Kornheiser lounging by the solo stove with Bootsy on his knee, teaching the youngster about identifying the biggest kid in the kindergarten class, grabbing the fire extinguisher off the wall and beating him down. That's what they say to do in prison. So I figured it would work in kindergarten. Surely it would do the trick in pre-K. It was in, it's not in pre-K. From Justin Winkleman, Bloomfield Hills, Michigan, 8.5 hours away from the nearest Bethesda bagel, he writes. A new game for what's in my pockets, also known as EDC, Everyday Carry. I'm in front left pocket, phone, chapstick, cheap blue Bic pen. Front right pocket, minimalist wallet, pocket change, Swiss Army sportsman knife, keys if I'm sitting down. Back left, nothing. Back right, keys if I'm walking around, otherwise nothing. On my keychain, other than keys, I have a Maglite mini LED flashlight and a multi-tool wrench and pry bar. This is a fun game. The rabbit hole goes very deep. I'll hang up and listen to what the other littles carry. From Jeff Rankin Lowe in London, Ontario, north of us in Canada, on Wednesday's show, a little told you about hearing your contribution to Countdown with Keith Oberman, but neglected to mention how Keith described who you are. He always says this person is a comedian or a journalist or an actor when he credits them at the end of his show. Keith said you are, quote, Michael Wilbon's announcer on ESPN. That's funny. That's not That's, wrong. No, it's funny. <laughs> From our friend Sam Angel in Silver Spring, Maryland, I have to write to follow up on something Timothy Hindley of Rolling North Carolina said in his recent email. He mentioned that Joe Shapiro remembered the Monday night football truck being parked in the Chevy Chase neighborhood when you both lived there. I think we've solved the mystery. Clearly the trailer that moved from street to street in your neighborhood last winter was Joe's. He and his crew used, used it to travel from interview to interview for all things considered our morning edition. Joe never forgot how impossible your bus made parking in 2006. Now that he's out of harm's way, revenge truly is a dish best served cold and on 18 wheels. From Dan Byrne. Hope you like, oh, this is from the Bank Job song. We did that last week. Uh, from Alex Lau. I couldn't help but connect the stories Michael told about Bootsy taking some kid's snack on day one and scraping his knee on day two. I think Bootsy may have stolen from the kindergarten mafia. Scraping someone's <laughs> knee is the kindergarten equivalent of breaking someone's <laughs> kneecap. Just make sure that Bootsy doesn't go to any Italian restaurants in the Bronx or get a message with his glasses on anytime soon. Mo Green, baby. Blake Harper in State College, Pennsylvania. The days are getting shorter, but all the lost daylight seems concentrated to the morning. Is the climate change? Perhaps you could have the Capital Weather Gang look into it, or maybe Nigel's NASA buddy. 17 kitchen outlets. From uh, Jolene Wojcik in Nebraska, who sends a picture as well. You are killing me. First you and Wilbon on the podcast, then you and Pablo on PTI. Today you and Pat Forty on the podcast. It's all about Nebraska, obviously. P.S. When does Creighton basketball start? P.S.S. <laughs> the photo was during happier times before his first game as Husker head coach. Jolene has a picture with Scott Frost in this that she sent to me. From Matthew Welge, or Welge in Naperville. That's in Indiana, isn't it? Is that you clicking your pen? Am I just hearing this? Am I the only one? It seems to be more pronounced in the last few shows. Is this a new habit? I know my hearing isn't getting better as I shout, huh, and what? To my wife and daughter at an increasing rate, I'm not complaining. I just want you to know we can hear it. Keep making us laugh. I'll sure, I'm sure we'll get used it to it. It is the pen. It's yes, that. Yes, yes, yes. I didn't realize that. And it's that. whenever you're about to change questions. Oh, I didn't realize that. From Gary uh, Giangelo. Uh, he just said Whopper Wednesday, $3. He sent a picture of a Whopper. Oof. It's only $3. Oh, you probably need a nap for that. From Rachel Pinson. I hope you have a few seconds for a quick favor for a D.C. local who lives down the street from La Chiserie and briefly worked with Wilbon's brother, so it's like we're family. If you can, please wish Rick Pollock a very happy birthday. 
My boyfriend turns 40 on September 30th, listens to every show, often sends me clips or has me listen along with the fun. Since I can't write a jingle or hit a home run, I thought this would be a special way to give him a shout out. Thanks to you, Tony and crew, for all your good hard work over the years. From John Edinger from Liverpool, not that Liverpool, because this is Liverpool, New York, which is in upstate New York. Um, please let Jason Smorrell know that I will be attending the Lachiserie night at the Syracuse Mets game September 7th. That's coming up. You see, I'm on vacation in the Outer Banks, and I'm trying not to use the phone other than to listen to the show. Looking forward to hearing the stylings of the great Dan Byrne. Give my regards to Edith Saliza, and please tell co-worker Steve Talty to eat it. And a haiku from Shad that we will end with, a tribute to Sally Jenkins, Miss Sally Jenkins. She simply writes the truth and rains hell upon them. If you're out on your bike tonight, as always, everyone, do wear white. You can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious! That ball was on the line. Shark flew up. Thank you, John.
Digging 